Beasley Workwear now proudly sponsors Trade Legends. You want to start? Yeah. So welcome back to everyone watching on YouTube, listening on Spotify. This is the Trade Legends podcast with me and Big Al. And we've got a very special guest all the way from the United States of America. Yeah, Minnesota, I think, isn't it, Eric? Is it Minnesota? It is, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So Midwest. Um, I'm not going to do that. I was going to do an accent then. You were, you were thinking about <laughs> it, thinking about you? it. You were thinking about it. And then Eric's going to look at you and think, what on earth he'll was hang, that? He'll hang up instantly when I do an accent. Oh, no. So Eric, aka Mechanical Hub, kind of a big deal as far as I'm concerned on Instagram. You're one of those accounts when you first join, if you ever get a follow back off Mechanical Hub, it's like a momentous moment. You obviously won't know that but because it's you, but for me and a lot of other people, you're quite um, an inspirational, um, someone to look up to, one of the big, good accounts, wholesome content, uh, good value content, educational content. I don't think I've ever seen you get involved in any beef or drama or anything like that. You just seem to be like a good, honest, hardworking tradesman that a lot of guys can look up <laughs> Sorry, I'm feeling a bit of a fanboy, aren't I? No, it's like... Eric's account is a well-respected account. It's a bit like you over here. I look at Eric's account and he's very similar in the sort of, he's well-respected. Yeah, well-respected. In, in the trades, his just opinions dude and respected and stuff You do like a lot that. for other people and obviously because of that, your account has grown into what it is. So just, do you want to talk, talk to us about, um, we normally ask people how they got into the trade, how it started for them. Give us a bit of a comparison between how it is for you guys over there and how it is for us. So we can sort of compare how we, we got into the trade and just give us your story. And then when we get to the end of, you know, how you got into the trade, why you like doing the job, we'll talk about how you then got into the social media side of things that you do. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Pete. Uh, Alex, thank you. So let me first start off by saying this. So it's really humbling to hear you say that. And it's it very, it's an honor to hear me, hear you say that about my account and the content I put out there, Pete, because um, I, I actually feel the same way about you. So when I learned about you and I started watching your videos, you're doing like these 60 second fixes and stuff like that. And I thought this is, this is something that I wish I knew uh, or I was already doing, I want to emulate that because I really, really looked up to you and the kind of content you share and how you share it too. So thanks for the nice words. I really appreciate that. And right back at you, because I feel probably as strongly about, uh, having found you and the content you put out there. So thanks. I, I appreciate that. that. Yeah. Thank you. Man. Um, and then meeting you in person was like, it's so cool to meet everybody. Like when we were at the ish, uh, trade fair and, it was so neat to meet in person because it seems so much more real that way. And I appreciate that on a personal level, like almost at like, I, I, I look back at that and meeting you and Bruno and, and Glenn and, and Andy and, and everybody else thinking, man, I want to do that so badly again, yeah. but moving on to your question. <laughs> so how, um, I think what's pretty typical on how we get into the trades here in North America is it's really uh, a similar story from a lot of, you know, across from one person to the next. And it's, it's typically tied into family. 
Um, so I don't know how it is there in the UK, but it seems here in North America, like the universities are really pushed at an early age to of parents, young parents of kids at young ages, that that is really the route you your kids need to go in order to, to do better than you as a parent, to, to have a better life and to be more successful. And the universities have just like this massive, massive budget to market their product, which is in, in most cases uh, for profit in the United States uh, school systems that are going to teach professional degrees. And those degrees are not going to be for plumbing or heating or electrical. It's going to be for, you know, business management or accounting or you name it, um, that kind of training. And so it's been for decades really uh, looked down upon to join a skilled trade, any kind of trade really, because it wasn't a professional degree earned at a university. Does that all kind of make sense? Yeah. And so when we, when we're finishing up high school here, the 12th grade, that's when we graduate, you're a senior in high school and you're then kind of kicked off into the world to decide what you're going to do. In most cases, parents and kids have made a decision that the next step would be to continue on with school and that school would be university training, uh, some kind of community college, something like that, and not a trade. And I say all that because I started out by saying like a lot of times people in the trades have been exposed to it through family members that are also maybe work in a similar trade or maybe a different one. And having that exposure, you see like, well, there's really a lot of value to learning these skills. And this could be a great job if you think you might enjoy it for the rest of your life, a great career, not just a job. And really that's how I got into it. But first I fell kind of victim to that whole you got to go to university, you know, go to the university, go to college. And I started college and I was a couple of years into engineering and decided I didn't think I was going the right direction. And at 19 years old, I don't know how anybody really does know what they want to do. Yeah. I think you're, you're too young. Uh, you're just taking advice from your parents or other family members. And if everybody around you has been told for their entire lives, like you got to go to college, well, then you just yourself think, well, that must be the route to go. And so my, a couple years of um, college and I was going into debt, trying to pay out of pocket, it was quite expensive. I decided that I would just say, you know, to heck with it. My summer job working as a plumbing apprentice or a helper was probably more enjoyable and I was making pretty good money. And if I were to go into it full time, the money would be better. And at that age, money is quite a motivator, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old. And so that's how I got into it. Uh, I had family in the trades. I was unhappy with the route, the kind of the path I was going with uh, college. And I didn't see that it was going to, I was going to end up anywhere that I was going to be happy. So I just, I joined like an apprenticeship program um, through a union here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and they started training me professionally to be a plumber. And I love it ever since. And I knew right. I knew early on that it was going to be something I was probably going to either be good at, or at least I would enjoy. Did you feel any pressure telling your family or telling the people at the university that you wanted to basically quit and pursue the plumbing? Was it a big decision? Did you, did anyone give you a hard time? You know, my family was great because, and I think only 
I think mostly because would they, look, they wanted your, your, your parents want the best for you. Right. And so it, no matter if it's true or not, they've been told for so long, like, you know, a, a good path would be to get a college degree and there, you know, that's not untrue, but if it, if, if that doesn't make you happy and it doesn't, is not going to be the right thing for you? Then your parents too, then understand that, you know, some, something else is probably better. Um, now my parents were, were receptive to it. I, I was dating my now wife at the time and it was hard to tell her. Cause I was like, well, she probably, you know, if she was going to stick around or keep me around, she's probably like, well, I want you to have the best job you can have. And is this really going to be good for you? And, uh, so, I mean, I felt a little bit of pressure. I, I, it wasn't anything I was ashamed of or anything. I was more excited than anything. And everybody just said, you know what, you know, you got to try it out and, and do your best if, the, if you think this is it. And, and so I moved into it. It didn't take long to realize though. Like I said, it did not take long at all for everybody to realize too, that I was so much more happy than when I was going to school being unsure of what I was studying and if this was going to work out for me. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, you say you gave it two years, so you gave it a chance, but it just wasn't for you. So I'm just thinking yeah. if anyone's watching this, who's in a similar situation, maybe they've just finished school, they're going on to university, but their heart's not in it, or they've been thinking about a trade, then maybe don't put so much pressure on yourself to live yeah. up to other people's expectations. Yes. The university is a good I just career. I just don't know why. Like we we spoke this morning, Eric, to uh, addicted to tools, a guy from Australia called Matt, an electrician over there, and it just seems to be like a regular theme, whether that's in North America, Australia, here, that it's sort of everything's just university pushed. So I don't know whether I want to say it's out outdated, but it happened when I was at school. It, it happened when still, Eric was at school in another there. another continent. Yeah. Um, it just seems that we don't, as tradesmen. They don't seem to value it as much as I think they should. Because, mm. you know, like I said to Matt earlier, where would people be without clean water, sanitation, electricity, heating, hot water? Where would yep. they be without that? They, they, you know. Yeah. I mean, does it does it does it vary? Do you do you, obviously when you're over there, America is like, you know, it's it's loads of little countries all in one. Pretty much every state's different. I mean. Is it just sort of confined to one area where it's like that, or is everybody the same across the whole of the US that it's not it's not really pushed? It's just university, and then that's it. I think it's everywhere. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's kind of a universal thing. You know, it it it's not to the it's not to the fault of the school system as much or the individual you know counselors or teachers in the you know at high school levels or even the administrators at the school, it, it's really, honestly, it's just embedded in the culture. So like, I don't know what TV looks like in the UK. Cause I, I was you know, just going to say, when you watch any movie with American kids yeah. in that, they're talking about what uni they're going to make it into Yale, Harvard, you know, I know those yeah. names because of films and there's a lot of yeah. like a social, it's a thing. Don't oh, start saying Alpha, you get into, uh, Alpha Omega and I got Delta. into I got into was it Browns, Yale, they're the ones right? that everyone wants to get into. And I know that coming from a small village in Leicestershire because I've seen it on all the TV shows and all the films coming mm. from Yeah, you know, like look, you turn on Nickelodeon or Disney, younger kids, they see the 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 butt of the joke is the big fat dad who's like an exterminator or a plumber. And is not 
it's not, you know, like, look, I'm proud of my dad because he has a really good job. It's, you know, he didn't go to college. He's kind of dumb. And that's his character on the show. Right. Like it's, it's everywhere. And, you know, the opposite of that is so cool too. If you look at, if you look harder enough, there have been characters that come along and promote the trades. Like you, you guys have heard of Mike Rowe, you know, the guy, he's an actor, but then he's turned into kind of this advocate for dirty jobs. He had a TV show called dirty jobs for a while there. Maybe you've seen it online or YouTube, but you know, like here's somebody that is, you know, famous in North America, at least. And I would imagine elsewhere that has built a career on like joining people out on their job site, whether they work at plumbing or any kind of construction, you can name it. And then any other kind of dirty job and highlighting that these are the people that really make kind of the world work, you know, operate. So be safe for us, you name it. And so, you know, there are people out there trying to promote it, but just as much as there are, you know, those are just a small few, but ultimately like the culture is so embedded in the idea that we have to go to college and that's how kids are raised. And that's what the next step is. You graduate from high school and you go on to more school and that must be the only way to be successful. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, so when, when you finally do decide that college university is not the thing for you, how, how old are you at this point then? Are you, you're 19 at this point? Yeah. You know, you know, typically we're graduating high school around 17, 18 years old. It just really depends on what, like, you know, what, where your birthday lands and, you know, typically you're 18 when you graduate high school. And so you are legally an adult according to the United States. And at that point, you know, you can go on to college or you can live on your own. You don't, you know, legally you're an adult, you make those decisions. And like I said earlier, like, I don't, I look, I have a 19 year old kid and I have a, a kid who's turning 21 literally today as we record this it's crazy to have you know kids at all but like these are adults and both of them are in college and not because they had to go to college to make a good living because hell they've been raised in the trades uh it's because when you know they received so much extra training when they're in high school, they graduated with degrees already. And so like, they're just furthering that education and taking advantage of the, the kind of the leg, the leg up that they had. Uh, but they know firsthand that if they decide at any point in time that it, this isn't for them, or if they do graduate, they could even go on to be in the trades. But, you know, like at 18 years old, like I said, like, I don't know that you know what you want to do exactly. And already my 21 year old has changed his mind. He's changed his major from engineering to a construction management program, because he thinks that that's, you know, more closely attached to the skilled trades. Like he wants to be in construction in a more tangible way than he would have been if he was in engineering. So like he, you know, that you're going to make changes. You're going to make decisions, life decisions at 18 years old. Like that's, that's kind of asking a lot of a person that age, in my opinion. And that's what we're telling these kids. You got to do, you got to decide you're going to go to college. You're going to go into a trade. Like that's crazy. Think about that. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. 18. It was terrible. Absolutely terrible. So, so you, so you leave, you leave college, right? So you left, left college, go into the trades 
where did you where did you sort of start out then? Did you get a job with somebody else, somebody that you knew, or was it a local firm to you? Who, who and, is it, of, and is that an apprenticeship? And how long's a typical apprenticeship last? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the state I live in. So yeah, Alex, you alluded to it earlier. Like in the United States, it really stinks. Unfortunately, like each state kind of has their own set of rules, right? And so where I live in Minnesota. Uh, the state requires a minimum of four years apprenticeship um, because it's like, uh, I think it's like 1,750 hours. They consider full-time employment. Um, it's really only like 30 hours a week or something small like that. But they make you record that many hours uh, in four years as an apprentice working under uh, a master plumber in this case for plumbing. And then, so you, so I joined an apprenticeship program that was put held together and, and administered by a union. So, uh, it gave me extra training. They put me in school a couple nights a week for like six months of the year, that kind of thing for each year that I was an apprentice, which, um, ultimately you don't have to go in the union, but you do have to be an apprentice that, uh, you have to serve an apprenticeship, but the union gave me the school that I, it benefited me like extra training, not just on the job, but actually classroom training to, to help, um, you know, broaden what I may not be exposed to on the job. Um, I mean, so you, you go, you go into that and you've, you've done your four years. Did you, did you go straight into starting your, your current business or did you go and work for like in union jobs straight after what did you, what did you do when you've, when you've sort of completed the apprenticeship then? What's the next move for, for you from there? So once we create our, once we complete our apprenticeship here in Minnesota, and this would be similar in other states too, then you have to sit down and you take the exam to become um, a journeyman plumber. That's a license that says that I can work. Uh, I don't have to work under direct supervision of another plumber. And so that I can just be employed by uh, a master plumber, I can just be on his staff and just be, you know, a, whether you're a jobber or you're doing construction or something like that. Um, so then, so I took my test to become a journeyman plumber. I worked for about five or six years as a, a you know, a journeyman, uh, you know, working for a company. So I just, a local company, they did a lot of new construction, a lot of um, heating systems, a lot of service. And so like, I kind of got exposed to a, a few different disciplines within our trade. And then, uh, I took a test to become a master plumber. So that would just be kind of a next level, uh, competency test again. And I sat for that, passed it. And that allows me to open up my own business. So after about five years, uh, of being a licensed plumber, uh, so now I'm almost, you know, what would that be like eight, nine years total? I've got invested into this career. That's when I became, you know, decided to go into self-employment. And so I had a, I had some training, you know, some time under my belt. I had passed my master plumbers exam. So I was now a master plumber. I could employ other plumbers. I could pull permits for jobs. I could, you know, complete, uh, you know, run my own business as a plumbing contractor at that point through all the regulations that, you know, that the state requires. So being a plumber is a licensed job. You can't be a plumber in the state of Minnesota without a plumbing license journeyman. And then you can work on your own master plumber. Then you can have staff and that unlocks access yep. to other stuff. Is that the same in every state you would have to apply for a plumbing license in a state or could you go out of state and it would just be the regs are slightly different? 
Yeah, see, that's where everything gets so muddy here. Uh, so no, my my plumbing license is only good and within the borders of the state of Minnesota. Um, there are, you know, like the bordering states. It's it may be a little bit easier for me to obtain a license in those states. Like they they wouldn't require me to do a, an apprenticeship program, but I would have to pass their test. Um, so, but you know, I live like where I live, I don't have to travel very far. I don't have to go to another state, you know, like my service area is, is quite large and yet I'm still, you know, a hundred miles from the border. So I'm not going to ever have to worry about other states. Yeah. So if you were um, an adult, say you're you mid thirties and you wanted to be a plumber in America, have you still got to do the four years to get your license? And that's regardless so in the UK, yep. we, we're not a licensed trade. Anyone can be a plumber. You can go on a fast track course to learn the basics and then you could start up your own business. Do you think being a licensed trade, it keeps the standards higher? It stops you getting what we would call cowboys? Well, in theory, yeah, it, it should. Uh, I think for a long time it did. And then as, you know, population grew as states there are still some states don't have a license and so as the population moved around as as time moved on you you might encounter there are people out there doing work and they're not licensed i guess that would be true everywhere and probably was since the beginning of time um but that's the theory so the theory that's the reasoning behind it if if there's some governing behind it and some and some um, minimum standards, then it should, you know, it should stand to reason that, you know, people are going to meet those standards and that they'll be well-trained and, and, and because we have things like permits on jobs and that have to be inspected. And in order to have all that in line, you have to prove your competency for it in the first place. So that's the theory. Um, one of the things too, though, that you see, First and foremost, when you start looking at uh, licensed trades versus unlicensed trades is really, uh, and it's important, I think, is that the, the wages are typically higher. So if you have, if you are, if your trade does not require license, so like in this instance, um, like a, a painter, plaster, you know, somebody that does that kind of work versus a plumber, I know they're not, they're not very comparable, the two trades, but you don't have to have a license to be a painter or a plasterer. And it doesn't mean that that, that that trade isn't valued, but because there's less of a barrier to get into it, because just anybody could do it, then it kind of, they don't place as high of a standard on it or as, as high of a value. And But yet if you have a license, you've proven this, you know, the competency to, to carry out this trade, now all of a sudden you're worth more so you can demand more of a wage. So that's, that's one way to look at it though, where, you know, especially for people considering a trade, if, if a license is required, there's going to be a lot more training, but then there's also going to be a, a benefit in the end where your wages are going to be higher. Yeah. And do you have a separate qualification to work with gas or is everything covered under the, the license? So we're, yeah. So, there's a little bit of gas or there's plenty of gas involved with being a uh, licensed plumber in, in Minnesota where I work, uh, but there's even further qualifications. So I have what's called a gas fitter license, which my journeyman or master plumber license 
allows me to work up to 1 million BTUs. Um, I don't know what that is. And you guys, you guys use like joules or no, what do you use? Kilowatts. I can't remember. Kilowatts. Yeah. Well, it's 3,450 kilowatts in a BTU. So we'll do the math, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so like, or BTUs in a kilowatt, whatever it is. Well, you know, how it, uh, but, uh, so I have a, I have another qual, um, I have another competency card or license that allows me to work on up to, uh, I think it's 5 million BTUs. So that was, that was useful when I first started out and I did like commercial work and stuff. But now that I just focus on residential, I don't really have any need for that qualification anymore, but I still maintain it. I just have to pay a annual fee to renew the license. And I have a little bit of continuing education that is required for me. Uh, every couple of years to renew that license. Yeah. And just while we're on the subject of this, um, you know that you have the different regulations in different states. And I learned this first through Instagram comments, because anytime I would run gas in a copper pipe, guys from America yeah. would be like, not in my state, that's illegal. Yeah. Are these differences state to state? Are they massive differences or is it just something like, you know, millimeters on a bath trap, things, you know, small discrepancies or is it big changes it i would say um i'd say it's pretty small well i'd say it's pretty small stuff so like a lot of times it comes down to like in certain areas of the country and this really wouldn't be a, a code thing it's certain areas of the country you can't use copper for natural gas piping uh, because the natural gas that's that they produce in that area has like higher sulfur content right and so their their area regardless of their code requirements has said no you can't use copper for gas so that's a great example i'm using your examples pete because that's actually one of those things that's talked about all the time right they say it on my post too because i we in minnesota it's very common to use copper for gas and although we have to use different joining methods than you do we can't just use regular soft solder we have to do other things um but our code allows us to use it because the gas is fine like it's just fine for copper but if you were in let's say massachusetts that's one state where they can't use copper for gas i know that because i get told on instagram constantly and just like you <laughs> and it's it's not because their code i mean their code doesn't allow it but there's a reason it's because they can't like it's it's the the gas is the sulfur contents like too high it would it destroys the piping and so you know it's a safety thing at that point it's not a code thing and um but for the most part uh there are there are like three different plumbing codes ultimately that are used nationally and whether they're adopted by your state which one however that turns out um there's very little differences between the three uh they just might uh be very small things you know like the copper for the gas thing or you know some the, do you guys have those auto air vent devices yep okay so like in minnesota we can't use those it sounds crazy <laughs> but like in wisconsin a bordering state they have a they have a different like their code says yeah go ahead and use it and so it's not as if plumbing works any differently in minnesota than it does in wisconsin or florida or any other of the 50 states it's just certain things are enforced or not, you know, allowed or not allowed, disallowed. That's really, they're very minor in my opinion. Okay. I mean, everything's got to run downhill, right? Like what's the old, you know, the adage is, is like, you know, shit runs downhill, you know, 
paychecks on Friday, don't chew your fingernails kind of thing. You know, like the best one to me, it makes the most amount of sense is like, you know, and the boss is an asshole. So like, that's just the way it is. You know what I mean? Excuse me. I don't know. I think you can swear on your podcast. Yeah, yeah, right? you, you can believe that. It's up. encouraged. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you're at, you're a master plumber now. Are you, is yeah. at this point, did you, are you still working for another company when you're doing your, no, you've already started your own company now. Do you have yeah, to have yeah. your own company so, to like, be able to then progress to master? No, no. So that's what's so cool is like, um, I have a couple of, uh, I like to refer them as, to them as they're very good, close friends of mine. They're plumbers. I refer to them as my, my old apprentices, <laughs> you know, the, the apprentices that worked that I was lucky enough to train. Uh, and I've always looked at it that way. I was lucky enough to train because I think it's an honor to be put in that position. Um, but when I was employed, uh, by another contractor, when I worked for someone else, they put an apprentice with me because they trusted me enough to tr teach their apprentice, this new employee, the trade. And so I have a couple guys that are close friends today that I call my old apprentices and they happen to be employed by a contractor, but each one of them are master plumbers. So like you just have to, there's some qualifications you have to work for a certain amount of time as a journeyman plumber before you're uh, qualified to take the master test. And once you've done that, you can just have a master plumbing license and still work for someone else. That master plumbing license though, would allow you to start your own company and, and employ other plumbers. If that makes sense, it's, it's not a require. You don't have to have your own company to get it. You have to have the license to have your own company. So what, what sort of age are you now when you, when you get your own business then, Eric, what, what sort of age are you in, in, in this scenario? You in your, in your thirties. I think most, I, yeah, I think most guys and gals when they start out work for probably at least a handful or more years. So you're looking at, you know, you're flirting with at least around 30, late twenties, early thirties is probably tip, typical. Um, not to say that people won't do it later on. Uh, I think a lot of different life circumstances that propel people to, to decide to go into self-employment. Um, you know, for me, it was, I'm an ambitious person and I, I don't, uh, I'm not really, uh, risk adverse. So like, I, I didn't look at it like a, a challenge, nor did I look at it as something that was going to like completely destroy me. I just thought, you know, what, it's something I can do. And I'm probably going to make some mistakes, but I'll get through it. Um, I was encouraged by family and stuff because I had a, a pretty good uh, head on my shoulders for the trade itself. It's just, I didn't know, you know, early on I made mistakes. Sure. Because I didn't know how to run my business, but going into business for myself, to me, I probably didn't take it serious enough. <laughs> and so I just jumped, you know, two feet in. Um, but I think a lot of people will do that under different circumstances, probably in their early, you know, late twenties, early thirties. And for different reasons for me, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a go right now. My kids are really young. If, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can just get a, a job working for another plumber. You know, I, I would be nervous to do it now. Like if I had been employed by a, a, a contractor up until now, I'm, you know, I'll be 45 coming up. And I feel like if I were to, you know, try to do self-employment now i'd be like scared out of my mind <laughs> like i wouldn't you know i'd be like nah yeah. it's the older you get i think the more risk risk adverse you become 
I think is the only, or, or maybe it's just that you're comfortable with your life and your surroundings. Like I, I certainly do not take as many risks now as what I used to. Well, when, I was, when you're when young, I was you young. feel like you're bulletproof and yeah. you've not got that, me- not as many responsibilities. Mm. So doing something like starting a business mm. isn't as much of a risk because you've not got as many people depending on you. You know, yeah. I mean, are you are you saying that from a perspective, Eric, of like you wouldn't want to do it now because maybe the current situation, pandemic, whatever, or you just no. that you just wouldn't want to do it just because it's just you couldn't imagine redoing it all again. I mean, what what would you say the reason is that you wouldn't want to start a business now if you were if you had to? I think I. I think to answer that, I'll expand on what both of you said, because I agree with you both. You, you take less risks now as you get older, because I think you understand the, 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 what, you know, if you fail, it's a bigger deal than it you understood when you were maybe 25. Right. And you, Pete, you said you feel kind of, you know, um, you're fearless and you kind of just don't, I think what, what you really are is you don't have a good understanding of what it's going to take to succeed. You just think that you can do it and you can do anything you've done anything up to that point. Well, a lot, the truth of the matter is, is, you know, until you're 20 years old or something like that, you're, you've had people around you holding your hand forever, kind of guiding you and telling you like, you know, whether it was your parents or a family or friend, like making sure you succeed. And you don't really realize that, but they're there uh, for a lot of people. And when you're 45, you're on your own. Like nobody's going to be like, I'm going to make sure you succeed here. So like, it's up to you. It's up to you no matter what age, but you know, I think you have a little bit more support or a little, you know, a a little bit different guidance when you're younger. I don't say that because of the current situation. Uh, I don't say it because I don't have the energy now as I did then. I mean, that's a little bit, but I say that because I just probably just didn't know ultimately what I was getting into. I didn't realize the risk that I was putting myself in. So when did the social media become such a, well, I say a big part of your life. I assume it's a big part of your life because you've got such a big following. Mm. When did that happen? And and where did the name Mechanical Hub come from? Well, so, well, what a lot of people probably don't understand is that uh, about 10 years ago, I met this guy who was, uh, now he's a business partner. So I have two businesses. I have Ani plumbing and heating, but then mechanical hub is a media company. So we started a website that was just, uh, you know, targeted to plumbing and heating contractors in North America, mostly, well, I guess North America, cause we have a lot of audience in Canada. Uh, and it was just a resource online website for plumbing and heating contractors, just new products, things like we do every day and share every day on social media. This was just pre-social media, or at least the popularity of it for uh, you know guys like us. And so that's where Mechanical Hub it was just the name of our website, and it still is the name of our website. And we we have a great thing going there. But then social media became a a tool for me to promote the brand overall. And what a lot of people like, I'd say like half of our audience knows exactly that this is a media company. We have a website and and then maybe the other half is like, oh, it's just this guy, this plumber. And that's what he goes by on Instagram. It all depends, I think, on where you are, um, because you might not really use our website for resource because you're in the UK versus uh, being in, you know, New York City, that kind of thing. 
And so Mechanical Hub is the name of our media company. And then it just transferred. It was just easy to use to try to promote and drive traffic to our site through social media. And when so you... I started, I go ahead. I was going to say, when you started it, um, how long did it take for it to grow into kind of what it is today? Obviously, it's always growing because of the nature of social media, the more content you put out, the more subscribers, followers you get. Yeah. And which which platform yep. did you did you start on first, Eric? Were you a Twitter guy or a Facebook guy first, or MySpace, wherever it was? I, I don't know. Like, where, where did you where did your social media journey start? Dude, I am not old enough to have used MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> I use MySpace. No. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I didn't. I wasn't even into it at, at that time, to be honest with you. Like, I had, I never had MySpace. Was it Bieber? Um, I'm, I'm well, no, to, there, was, like, there was one before MySpace. I was trying to think of what it was then. There was one. There was the original one, and it, it died a death, and then MySpace came out. I don't know. I can only remember. Like, it wasn't the music one, Napster or whatever. It wasn't that, right? It was definitely the the very because I watched a, a program on the like the origins of social media, but I can't remember what it is now. If it comes to me, I'll let you know. <laughs> the uh, so I, we actually started out. I started using Facebook, and I I laugh at that a little bit now because the only reason I'm on Facebook is so my wife can so Heather can tag me in things so my mom can see what's going on in my daily life. Like that's why I'm on Facebook. Right. But early on Facebook was different and it was what we had and it was big. So it was useful. Uh, it's, it's bigger now, but it's less useful to me because I think the audience there is, is just not, um, it's, it's, I don't prefer it, you know, like, let's just put it, let's say it the way it is. I've never done well with YouTube, although we have a few subscribers, uh, we just kind of utilize YouTube to host videos for, you know, that are kind of on our website. Right. But uh, Instagram, I started that in like 2017, I think. Um, so it's been like, let's say five years, maybe a little longer. And it was on a whim because a couple of people who I respect and who have a really good following said like, hey, I think your the content that you're sharing over on Facebook would do really well over here. And at that time, I remember it was like all food and stuff. Like people are like, this is my dinner. And I'm like, I don't think people want to hear from a plumber. You know, you know, I don't think when people want to look at food and then see like a clogged toilet, you know, like, I don't know if this is going to work out that well for me, but I did it. And I just started talking about tools and turns out there were a lot of people that were interested in that kind of content. And so early on, a lot of what I posted was just like about tools all the time. And I, I'll be honest with you. I kind of, I kind of got tired of that because more and more people started doing the same thing. And then I always thought, well, I don't want to be the same as everybody else. So then I started showing stuff like from my job sites and stuff. Yeah. That's when I, honestly, it's probably when I learned about PB and I was like, I'm going to do stuff like that. And so I just started kind of changing how, uh, how I got, you know, pulled my phone out to share, you know, make a video or take a picture or something like that. And, you know, it just continues to grow and I'm sure it'll change again. Uh, because I think if you, if you just do the same thing you've always done, you're always going to get what you always got, you know, that kind of attitude, like I'm going to change and it's, it's hopefully for the better in time. I don't know what that looks like. You've got to keep you know? being original to stay at the top. So you can't yeah. rest on, yeah, you find something that people like and that you're good at, but you've, because people will then even out of um, admiration, they'll copy it. 
And then for yeah. you to remain above, you've got to think of something original. And that's, you, you were the same though, because you, you mentioned on previous My journey's podcasts. quite similar to yours in that I started off, you know, we're all into tools because we, we need them to do our job. And if you're yeah. a tradesman who's passionate about his job, you're probably passionate about the two tools you use as well. And I went from, yeah, I'm happy posting a picture of my tools all set out nice or in my, my kit bag loadout or if I've got a new tool. But then I'm thinking, what am I bringing to the table? What are people benefiting or learning from just looking at my nice new tools? And yeah. that's when I sort of progressed into, right, I only want to put content out where they are gaining some knowledge and insight, learning something, some co content that's worth something to them. And it sounds like you, you, you're similar. Yeah. I also think that I, I'd like to remind everybody because it's something I have to remind myself. Um, you know, I want to teach people things or just share my experiences with them and let them decide what that means to them. And I think that's probably Pete, what you're doing. Uh, that's my, uh, uh, that's my observation. Um, but let's not forget too, that sometimes we just want to turn our brains off and be entertained or laugh or like admire things. And that's a lot of what we can offer other people. And I don't mean to sound high and mighty. I mean, to sound grounded and like, look, it's not that important what we're doing every single day. Sometimes it could just be for a laugh or it could just be like, look, I'm doing the same thing you are, but this is how I saw it today through my own eyes. Cause that's, I think how we share our content is really from our own point of view. And it leaves it up to other people to interpret what that is for them. And it could be for education, I think a lot of times uh, I I seek through my social media like who I follow I I'd wanna I want to be entertained I'm not kidding you because like my brain is never off except for sometimes when I can enjoy like a really funny or cool video so like that's something there too like let's let I think that we should keep that in mind that it's it's uh our audience if you want you know if you want to look at it that way really is diverse and they can kind of digest what we share with them in different ways. Yeah. And like every piece of content you put out, not everyone's going to like it. Some people are going to get a lot of value from it. Some people, they're not yep. going to be interested at all. So, I mean, what's, what's one account then, Eric, who's one person or one account it doesn't have to be trade related that you, you admire or you look at and you think, you know, that I love that content. You know, for, for me, obviously being a brand, there's so many of you yourself, Pete, uh, SQ2, Ryan, Nick Bundy over here, Murray Kruger, you know, if there's there's so many people for me. But if if you could, you know, just try and think of one. I know there's so many people that, like, you will check back maybe each day or every couple of days or there's always a piece of content, apart from obviously this man sat here. Because I know there's like a, yeah. there's like a bromance between you. <laughs> who, 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 would you who would you say? It doesn't have to be trade-related, but, like, something for people listening or watching that they're going to, they're going to go and check it out and think, actually, that's, that's quite cool. Cause they might not have heard of it themselves. Yeah. So there's this, there's this uh, guy, he's out on the West coast. He's up in, uh, I'm going to get it wrong. I swear he's in Washington state, but he might've been in Oregon. His name is Tim Euler and he's goes by awesome framers. And so he's a carpenter. And he builds him and his brother. They own a family business together. His brother is on like the, the job supervision, the sales, the administrative side of the business. And Tim 
and a couple guys are on like they're running the saws and the nailers and like literally physically building the houses and these really cool high performance houses that they build and he doesn't take any of it serious like he's very serious and being at being very good at what he does and he knows it he knows he's good but he's got a dry sense of humor and he jokes constantly and he shares very useful content that to me is fabulously entertaining because i laugh almost every time he puts a video out and i watch it so like i love that because he he's entertaining but he's also educating and he doesn't take it serious like so serious that you know like if somebody's going to criticize him he he notices but he just moves on and he doesn't have to dwell on it and he doesn't make a big thing of it that's what i think we can share most with people is just you know think about how we can teach them something or share our experiences but then have fun with it mm. i mean did you did you ever obviously you've gone into plumbing did you ever think maybe of being in another trade if you if there was one i mean obviously you mentioned awesome framers is is that something that you maybe would have considered or was it always going to be plumbing for you you know I don't know. I think it was always going to be plumbing. Um, when I was very young, I worked in the summer times for some family members and I did, uh, I worked on like boiler heating systems and where I live, that's very much a plumber's trade. Um, and I, so I had exposure to it as like high school, junior high age kid who was just getting paid to do some menial tasks when, you know, in the summertime, probably, probably because my dad was like, get the hell out of the house. You need to go do something kind of deal. And, um, I, I've always enjoyed it. Like even before I was like officially being trained to do it, I, I think it's interesting and I still find it interesting today. I really do. I think it's, uh, I think I find entertainment in other watching other trades because it's not something I do every day. You know, like these, these guys and gals that do like the tile work, like the finished bathroom work, like, I mean, come on, who doesn't look at that and go, what? I wouldn't, I don't have an ounce of that skill in me and they could, they do it like they're, they're masters at it. You know, I mean, of course we get to see the best of it. You'll know the one I'm talking about It's a Russian guy and it's just a tile yep. wall and then he pushes the wall and it pops out. And it opens up and there's the plumbing behind it and so oh come on. <laughs> it's incredible. It's so cool. Can do, yeah. So yep. Eric, I'm gonna put you on the spot and you can say you can say yes on camera and then when the camera's off you can say no way, man. But I was talking to Adam from Australia this morning. Uh, no, Matt. 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 <laughs> Get his name right, Pete. Pete's Sorry. useless with names. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible with names. <laughs> I'm talking to Matt and he's in Australia and he talks to uh electricians in the UK. And I was saying about working, would you ever like want to, because he's been reading up on the regulations for our wiring in the UK. And I was talking about, would you ever want to can work you, in the UK? Can just pre-warn Eric, you're harboring for an invite over to the No, let me just tell US. you. So <laughs> I'm 40 this year and I want to I wanna okay. do, I want to experience more. I want to go on adventures and stuff. So I'm asking you to invite me <laughs> to come and work with you. For a week, maybe for yep. two weeks, and experience plumbing in the US, and I can make content, I can make YouTube videos, and I can work for you for free. Eric, Eric's basically said, yeah, you can, but you can't stop with him. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I I, I want to do that. And I, I, the question I want to ask you is, obviously, can I do it? Um, but 
is that something that you would want to do? Would you want to come over to the UK maybe and work and experience UK plumbing? The later you get into in your career and you're sort of more working for experiences rather than working for a paycheck kind of thing. Is that something you've thought about or? Yeah, absolutely. 100% both ways. If we can make that work, I would be in. And I've said for a long time, like, I want to go do that same kind of thing. I've just never acted on it because I think you get busy. And it's finding the time to do. You have ideas, don't you? And yeah. Just getting the time to do them. But Yeah, absolutely. It'd be a blast. And if I could get down to Australia sometime too, like, I would do that. Let's. Uh, can I just go around with you maybe once you know, <laughs> yeah, for a little bit of it? I don't want to steal your thunder, you could do, but you, could you do know, a tour. maybe that could be the new YouTube. You know, like touring plumbers, and we just go to different parts of the world and see how they work and get some work experience, make content, yeah. eat well, nice at, food. At some point, anyway, Eric, I've mentioned to you, I need to, I need to come over. Obviously, I've got to go and meet the guys who do our North American distribution for us, and they're actually not far from Murray. In, is it Saskatoon? So they're not far Saskatoon, from, yeah. So they're not far from Murray. So at some point I'll bring him over as long as I can business class. I can as long as I can dump him over <laughs> at yours on the way Are you... on the way through to Saskatoon. I'll I'll chuck him out in the Midwest. <laughs> uh, Alex, are you sure you want to go to Saskatoon? Like... Oh, not not currently. Not currently, because no. I've heard it's colder than yeah. the Midwest at the moment. Yeah, it is. You want to go there in like July or August, I think, is when you want to go there. Have yeah. you seen it there? I'm preparing, um, mate. The cold showers. people, like, yeah. yeah, great people, great country. Like, there's no, there's no doubt, but, man, is it cold where they live. And it's cold where I live. Like, it's straight up cold where I live, and it's colder there, so. Yeah. Oh, I awesome. think we'll, we'll leave it to longer, then, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, have you got anything else to you? I mean, well, like we say to everyone, have you got um, a message for people listening, watching, and that is... I think for you, it will be passing on a piece of advice. Maybe this helps you through your career, a bit of wisdom. And then obviously, if you want to plug your channels, although I don't think you need to, um, I think everyone knows who you are. But anything you want to, uh, if anything you want to say, like a final word, it's kind of, we call it like a Jerry Springer moment, you know, the final thought. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. And yeah, I appreciated the opportunity. Um, honestly, I, I don't know that a lot of people know this about me, but I said I, I, I talked quite a bit about it already today. Like, I just think people are very stressed out in, in the way things have gone for the last couple of years and, and social media sure doesn't help. And I think no matter what you do or who you're into or the kind of content you're looking for or whatever, when you're online or whether it's your day to day, just, I think we need to relax a little bit and give people some slack. I think everybody's a little at the end of the rope, you know, they're a little stressed out and I try to keep that in mind. So like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't mean a lot if I just said it, I try to do it. And yeah, just, you know, like everybody's going through a lot of crap and it's cool programs like this, that we get to talk to each other and learn about other people and what they're doing, but don't, don't leave it at this screen and don't, don't close out this video or whatever, however you listen and go on and be angry and all worked up. Like try to keep that in mind. Like we're all out there trying to get through this together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how is the situation for you guys over there now? Is it, is it everywhere's open and no, no problems? Because every, every country is different. Like I talk to the guys in Canada and they're like, it's only just opening back up and stuff like that. And there's no restrictions and stuff now. So it's, it's looking a lot more normal day every day here. Uh, I mean, I don't think everything's going to be completely back to normal, but 
I think people are finally kind of there's less extreme from one side of the of viewpoint to the other now. I think they're getting a little excuse me, a little closer together uh on on kind of their outlook of things whether or not you're you know for or against you know kind of different kind of mandates or things like that and then you know physically like you you can do a lot more uh just in public and in in private you know like businesses things like that are a lot more open today than they were you know just a couple months ago so it's getting better uh in that respect but you know people are just a little uptight right now and they have been for a while and it's, it doesn't seem like it's going to go away unless we choose to make it go away. And that's where I would love to see people. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing I wanted to ask as well, before you go, cause I saw you were recently in Vegas at the AHR expo, was it? Yeah. So we've been traveling all over the place. Yeah, Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Was, was the, cause we, we've been to a couple of exhibitions here, but it was just, just as we were sort of like, just before. Um, yeah. It was um, right when yeah. we first coming out of it, people were unsure whether they could go with that vaccine or yep. if like was, masks were mandated yeah, and stuff like that. There was that. a lot I mean, of confusion. And the first show we went to was wasn't very busy, was it? Compared to what you would normally expect, it was almost like a ghost town. So so for for you guys there, was that was that one of your first exhibitions back? Was it busy? Were people happy to be back? Because you know, when we went our first experience back, it, it was all right. But it everyone wasn't. was happy to be there, but it, the manufacturers hadn't committed because they weren't sure if anyone was going to show up. So then it what used to be a really big, well-populated, you know, all the top tool brands were there. There was only a handful and some of the big names that you expected to be there weren't there. So it was kind of like, it was a bit flat, but people were happy to be out and seeing their mates, seeing the people that they interact yep. with on social media. Yeah. So it's crazy. It sounds like you're describing what we've experienced too. The same thing. Uh, I will say this. So like we were at this big show in Orlando, Florida last week. And it's a, it was called the International Builder Show. And it's a really neat uh, exhibition. It really is. And it has more to do with the building uh, and, you know, industry and building science uh, of the building industry than it does plumbing and heating. But there's a, there's a factor of that there too. And so I go to learn uh, some about new products that are coming like for ventilation and, you know, like heat pumps are, were a big focus this year because that's not necessarily a real big thing here in the U.S. yet. And so I was learning, I, I went looking for that kind of information. And what we found were these ex exhibitors that were, they were there. There were some that weren't, uh, but they had like this really just abbreviated, very small presence. Like they didn't bring all their products or like, I actually saw a virtual booth, which was totally disappointing like i went there and they had like screens and like you could interact with the screen i'm like what the fuck you i drove i went all the way to florida and you like i could have looked at this on my laptop you know like this is dumb but uh where do you but, where do you see exhibitions going do you see them returning to normal do you feel that they will return? because for, for me I, like a lot of companies over here especially for us when we supply into them are just doing virtual meetings now a bit like metaverse sort of style type things they're not not really getting together at a uh, exhibition hall and having all the personally in my humble opinion you can't be going to a tool show and getting and the tool in yeah. your hand that's the the biggest benefit for me mm. and talking to the people especially when it's something that someone's invented themselves or made themselves because they're passionate about it they know how it works they know how to explain to you how it's intended use but yeah actually getting your hands on stuff 
I don't think you can... It's like when you go shopping. It's always better to go and try a new coat on than order... Because you have to order two sizes. Yeah. One of them don't fit and you send, have to send one back. It's always better to go there and actually... I, I agree with you. I just get this feeling that, like, you know, a lot of a lot of big companies now have realised that actually some of them, especially in the trades, have, have grown during the pandemic and maybe think, well... Do you know what? I don't have to spend forty thousand dollars on a on a booth at World of Concrete anymore. I could scale it down. So, are they going to remain the same these exhibitions, or are they going to be smaller versions? Like me personally, I hope they go back to how they were because, like you say, it's good to see everybody. It's good to go and like see these new tools and actually have like a vibrant show. But from my experience here of the first two back here, I was a bit like, I just didn't. I I didn't think it was ever going to go back to the to the same as it was before but i didn't know what the situation was over there with because i saw you've been to a couple of exhibitions what your your thoughts and take on that would be i think i think we're going to see a combination of what you're both saying maybe alex what you're alluding to with the virtual or kind of just this new approach and how they can do things on a different level and sometimes more intimate too than being in person is is a virtual way because they can do it when it's convenient for somebody to attend versus requiring them to travel maybe halfway across the country or something like that. Now, so I don't, I'm not an expert at this, but I think that everybody is super happy to go back. And there are a lot of people that want to be there in person uh, to like you say, Pete, you know, try that coat on, right? Like to feel the tool in the hand or just like, see what the heck this water heater actually looks like. Right. Um, And if they don't, if these, if these companies and these trade exhibitions don't realize that there's a, a really big benefit in the education factor of that. And they don't capitalize more on that. Then they're not going to get people just to come look at the exhibit and hold things in their hands. So like if they, if they are, if they capitalize on people being excited to attend them in purpose uh, in person, and they kind of, I think trade exhibits need to change a little bit. I think they're kind of old. I think just having a booth and showing off your product is, isn't that exciting personally. It's you guys, you guys already said it. People go because they want to see other people. They go because they want to connect with maybe somebody they saw a few years ago or maybe meet new people. And so I don't think having a booth full of product is enough to, you know, like to sustain that over time. So I think it's going to change. I think they need to, to, to really capitalize on people's uh, excitement to get together and figure out how to kind of change a trade exhibition in a way that makes people want to attend, not just for the products. So that's my take on it. I think around here, people, the the couple shows we've been to, people were very happy to get out and see other people. And almost to a point where some people, it was less about the product that they were going to see. You see what I'm saying? It was more about what you're saying, Pete, like you get to, you get to touch and feel it, but you also just get to be around other people. And because we haven't had that for a while. So if they can figure out how to make a trade exhibition, uh, as much about being around other people as it is about exhibiting your new product, then I think they'll be successful because it doesn't cost a whole lot to, to create a video and let you watch the video. You know what I mean? Like that's way cheaper. <laughs> well, massive, massive thank you for coming on and supporting our relatively new podcast. Yeah, all, all new. But we really appreciate, appreciate you taking your time. And it was a pleasure to speak to you and learn a bit more about, you know, how you got into, well, got to where you are today. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. 
Cheers, guys. All, all the best, Eric, and we'll catch you soon.